welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar interview leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar. In this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I chat with Jacob Eating, the CEO of Revenue Cat. So instead of going through what is typically a months-long process of building their own subscription backend service, uh, mobile developers can tap into RevenueCat's APIs and SDKs to quickly add, manage, and grow subscription revenue in their business. So Ethan and I were recently on RevenueCat's Subclub podcast, which I highly recommend you check out. Um, and so we were, we were chatting about really the principles of breakout growth success so it was really fun to have uh, Jacob jump on with us and hear about he how he and his team are applying some of those principles and just generally how they think about uh, growth in their business. So, Ethan, what stood out for you in this conversation? So there's this really like just genuine alignment between Revenue Cat's success and the success of their customers, and it seems to really guide a lot of Jacob's approach and how how sort of. Revenue Cat as a company views the world. Everything from how they set goals to tracking metrics and just leading people comes down to that alignment with their customers. At one point, Jacob was saying, you know, something to the effect of, we want to be the sales force of what we do. And with this goal of helping developers at every step along the business building journey. And it seems like when you have that tight connection between your success and your customer success, that's a recipe where really good things can happen. Yeah, you know the conversation actually reminded me of uh, of the one that we had with Joseph Cohen, the CEO of Universe, uh, a few months back. Um, to reminder, there the mobile app where you can build website for, a website for your business. But he he had really emphasized that deep connection between the company's own success and his customer success, and how that was a key driver for for their business. And I think we really saw the same thing with Revenue Cat in this conversation. And it makes sense because. When you look at the backstory of, of Revenue Cat, it is, uh, it's, it's really setting that up. So Jacob was an engineer. He was tasked with building these subscription backends for uh, mobile apps that he was working on. And he really experienced the, the pain points and the inefficiencies and realized that this type of solution that he had in mind could really solve a problem, create real value for people like him. Yeah. And I think it was just interesting to talk about where this business sits in this larger ecosystem. You know, Revenue Cat provides its services to customers who are living within the walled gardens of Apple and Android. So by helping this community of mobile app developers succeed, Revenue Cat's actually creating more value, not only for those customers, but also for these giant platforms. So I think it's a pretty virtuous cycle that really drives, you know, there's drives and, you know, helps their success thrive over time. Yeah, but you know, there's always going to be some fear when you're building inside those walled gardens that you know one day an Apple or a Google is going to crush you. But I, th- I think Revenue Cat's probably probably doing it right. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go in the future. the The product's super helpful for developers when they're building new apps. But Jacob wants to make sure that uh, Revenue Cat is as an important long term partner as well as as these businesses are are are, are the developers are trying to grow their businesses. Yeah, it's super easy to be a fan of Revenue Cat and what Jacob's doing. He has a ton of really great energy and seems to be having just a ton of fun creating something something really great. So, having been in the world of subscription mobile apps and you know knowing this pain point, now having used Revenue Cat, I can tell you it is definitely a game changing solution for startups. So, uh, what do you say, Sean? Should we jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. 
Jacob. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm joined by my co-host, Ethan Gar. Hey, Ethan. Hey, Sean. Hey, Jacob. We're, we're super excited to have you on, Jacob. Uh, we, we spent some time on, on your podcast not too, not too long ago, so it's kind of kind of fun Doing to the old podcast the tables quid pro quo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll jump right into it. So um, I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners, particularly those who are uh, app developers, are going to be familiar with Revenue Cat, but maybe you can give us a, a quick introduction for those who, who may not be uh, familiar with the company. Sure. Um, so Revenue Cat is an SDK and an API and a website that basically helps developers um, add subscriptions to their mobile apps fast and then build their companies around our tooling. So we provide, we just make the entire problem of dealing with the App Store and Google Play and other payment providers much, much easier, allow developers to get to market faster and allow them to scale their businesses. Um, we just take care for them. And allow them to do whatever they do, which is probably a lot more interesting than in-app purchases. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that may, that makes a ton of sense. So um, I won't go into the total backstory on it, but maybe maybe we'll we'll kind of uh, intersect with the point of like when when did you actually know you were you were onto something with this? Oh wow, um, it's kind of interesting. So my my in my previous life, my co-founder and I we worked at the, a company called Elevate, um, which was an app my, my whole life prior to starting revenue cat this is my first b2b SaaS play before that i was a mobile developer and so um we had built these systems ourselves for another company um as engineers and i guess like kind of knew what we were onto something then because i was like this is a huge problem right <laughs> like this is a huge time suck we all get paid a decent amount. Like this is expensive for companies, right? To work on this stuff and get it right. And it was hard to get it right. And so there was this moment, I don't even say this is probably 2014 or 15. And I was like, there's something here. Like this shouldn't be so hard. Um, I've now learned as for anybody looking for an idea out there, that's a great source of ideas. When you find something that shouldn't be as hard as it is, right. that's, that's a good source of inspiration. So that's when I knew that there was like something there. Um, and then it wasn't until 2017, we started working on it. Um, and to be honest, it took a year of grinding, building the first versions, getting it out there until I was like, oh, okay, this might actually work. <laughs> like this might actually become a business. And we, I knew it would work from a technical perspective. I, I knew we could build something that would achieve technically what we were trying to achieve is like, take all of this stuff and put it in an SDK and a service and like put it in apps. Like I had built that for one app. I knew how to like make that for many apps. Um, but I did not know if people would, you know, agree to like essentially rev share. I didn't know if people would actually like, you know, asking developers to put an SDK in their app is a big ask, right? So um, I didn't know. And this was a new, we were like first in, of this thing. Like it had never been done before. So like trying to convince developers that this is another SDK you need. I didn't know if that would work. Um, and honestly, it didn't for the first like year. It was like begging and um uh yeah honestly like doing a lot of building a lot of paywalls myself for people being like hey i'll do 40 hours of dev work for you for free catches you let me put my little sdk in here um and so yeah it wasn't until we had done yc and afterwards that we started to actually see anything that you could consider like product market fit or like you know, quote unquote working. <laughs> uh huh. So we'll, we'll go into the details of sort of like what, what you feel like tweaked it to product market fit, but I want to get Ethan in here and uh, if, if he's got any pressing questions. Well, it's just, 
I saw an interview you did probably a while back and you mentioned that you knew right away that you needed a co-founder. And obviously you picked Miguel, uh, you'd work together, but I'm curious about what gave you the self-awareness to know, like, I need a partner in this. And what were you looking for in that relationship to make sure that it would be successful? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to, the, the, the interview you're referencing, I had done, you know, a year into the journey. So mm -hmm. I'm questioning if I, I really had that co-founder remorse after this. Yeah. Um, and it is something I, I, I very agree with. Uh, I very much agree with, and well, let, let's assume that I had the like foresight to know I needed that when I needed it. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think this is one of the advantages of starting it. There's a lot of, you know, great companies started by folks just out of school. Um, and, and you know, there's plenty of examples out there. Uh, revenue cat, I started, I was 30 years old. So I had worked for a while. I'd had a few jobs. I'd almost been fired. I, you know, like I had, I had learned a little bit about what I was and like how I worked and like what my strengths and weaknesses were. Um, and that made it clear to me, like, I need somebody to like compliment me where I'm weak, right? Like, or, or to help me give me some time on some areas so I can go focus on something else. Um, and then just somebody to balance me out, right? Like I'm a little wild, like I, I'm a little impulsive. Um, and like Miguel's a little more stable. He's a little more cautious and we make a really good pair because we kind of, and we're really good friends. That's another, another advantage. So we, we regulate really well. So I also had the advantage is that I had somebody in mind, right? <laughs> so this advice I always talk to people deciding if they're going to go solo or not. Um, it's always, easier for people with great co-founders to say, oh, you need a co-founder, but it's hard to find that person. Like I don't take somebody that you're not, you know, very, very pretty sure about. Um, it's a but, marriage, right? I mean, it's, oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's more, I mean, marriage doesn't even like, you can escape it's at work like, when you're married. But. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's breaks, uh, you know, you, yeah, you get to go to work every day and stuff like this in a marriage and there's like some separations, but with, uh, yeah, I don't know with, with a, with a co-founder, like you're, you're connected financially, you're connected emotionally, you're connected in work every day. Um, so the, it has to work really well. Um, and I think, interestingly, it doesn't have to work perfectly right at the beginning either. And, I, you know, Miguel's and my relationship has evolved and deepened over time. And there's been ups and downs, certainly. Um, five years in, it's reached a nice, like, steady marathon pace. We kind of know each other's bugs. We kind of know what's going to work and what's not. And we can kind of just rely on each other. Um, but that's, so the, the other point I'll make in, in terms of why this was important, I know now, and maybe I knew then was just that you need somebody to pick you up. Like you need somebody when you're down, you need somebody that you can like complain to and they're going to be up and they're going to be able to like normalize the thing. Cause otherwise it's so lonely. It's so boring sometimes. It's just, um, like, and, and you can't, like other jobs, you can complain to your peers, your, your yeah, work buddies, yeah. stuff like that. You can't you do that. Your boss. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't complain. You know, not to, you know, everybody complains about work, right? I yeah. myself included and having a co-founder is somebody that you could do that with. So anyway, yeah. I mean, I think that's where people talk about it being a lonely journey and, uh, and makes it a lot least, better. If you yeah. Have at friend, least you got someone you know? in the trenches who's got as much at stake as you have. Yeah. That's the it. hard part though. It's like finding somebody who's truly deep, as deeply committed as you are and is a good match. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Now that makes sense. I, I just want to touch on one point where, uh, you, you referred to yourself as the, uh, kind of wild and impulsive one. So for anyone who has not tuned into our, our YouTube version of the podcast, 
it's not a surprise you describe yourself that way with the uh, with the big beard. There. You, you look you look a bit uh, you look a bit as you describe. Do I, do yourself. I not look like I'm about to go IPO or something? No, not, I don't. Not I yet, don't have the, That's the, a, the banker it's look a, yet. It, it'll get extreme there. extreme makeover in a year when you're yeah, standing on I'll the man's floor. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a conversation with a CFO who has to sit me down and like tell me to go buy a suit. Yeah, but just. For anyone just like who's who's tuning in, like just a couple things to get you excited about digging in a little bit more about Jacob. One of his profile pictures, he's getting in an airplane that he's about to fly, which is pretty cool. Uh, he has won the 24 hours of Le Mans race, which is just incredible. And I think he built his own car. Um, yeah. And- so don't, don't confuse that with the French real race. This is 24 hours of lemons, which is oh. $500. Race cars. <laughs> <laughs> so am I really pulling that off? People think I won Le Mans. That'd be great. Uh, 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 the guy who invented rails won Le Mans. I'm not that good. No, no, no. 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 I, I turned, I turned a 94 tempo into a race car and I raced it for 16 hours. And, uh, okay. got so the, that's uh, the, that's the lemons conversion. Is, yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Great, exactly. Gotcha. I, think, just, I think it still makes me cool at Ethan. So I, it, you know. no, absolutely. And just the other thing that, um, you took your whole crew on a uh, on the revenue cat catamaran. So sh- as you might not know, but Sean and I are sailors. So that was pretty cool when I saw that. So <laughs> I had to admit, uh, you, you know, with a remote company, you kind of lose track of how big it gets until you put everybody on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> it into and you're like, wow, we have a big team. This is a big boat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to so go too I, far I, from land in that situation. <laughs> yeah. I thank you for that. And, uh, yeah, Miguel doesn't do, we, we both surf and that's, but that, that's all of our, like both, uh, extreme activities. The other stuff, I don't think Miguel's never gotten a plane with me and never will. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what makes our relationship special. Yeah. And where are you guys based? So uh, everywhere. So, um, well, we started in SF. So Miguel and I met there and that's where he had worked previously. Um, and that's where we did YC. And then we kind of were, we wanted to hire a couple of people in the post YC era and they were not in San Francisco. And I was like, that's fine. I want to work with you more than I care about where you are. And then the pandemic happened and we were like, yay, we're full remote. Have been the whole time, you know, whatever. And so <laughs> we had, this, and so we've been, been that way since, 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 uh, you know, 2020. And, uh, so I'm I'm in Ohio actually. Okay. Um, yeah, I've heard the surf is great there. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't actually surfed Ohio. I've surfed Michigan. It's not a great, okay, the, but you can do lakes. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and Miguel's in California still, and and the okay. rest of the team. We have a lot of folks in Europe, a lot of folks in the U.S., South America, cool. kind of all over. Cool, cool. Yeah, I surf too. That's part of the reason why I was asked. Oh, great. Initially asked where we need to talk about growth and companies. Can we just like? There's a there's a really good swell in Southern California this week. I know. I saw. uh, (laughs) It's been fun. Um, But anyway, getting back to the topic at hand here, um, uh, maybe you can give us um, a a bit of insight on uh, into what it's like to build inside an ecosystem like the like the Apple or the Google ecosystem and sort of the dependency. Uh, yeah, around around your business and, and building inside there advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're building on the back of a giant, right? Uh, right. And like it, it doesn't they don't that doesn't really know we're here. Yeah, <laughs> and, they, and the giant can swat you pretty easy. Yeah, if they wanted exactly. To. <laughs> it, it, but that, that 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 ascribes a lot of intention to it. Like these big companies, there's so many people and so many initiatives and things like this. It's 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 unusual that they would even notice you right like it's it's there's not a single consciousness so so yeah in the early days this was a huge risk to me i i knew it like i knew like we were we're not 
breaking any rules, but we're building on their system kind of in, you know, we, we, we make API calls on behalf of developers and like, it's, it's all, it's all up and up, but it is different. Um, there were other comparables that people had done like messaging services, like, um, like Braze and, 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 and one signal, um, had done something similar where they had like essentially helped developers with Apple's APIs. So I was like, okay, there's some, there's some prior work here. Um, but definitely in the early days, everybody was like, are, are these, is, are they just going to like shut you down? And all of a sudden I was like, no, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> at some point you get to like a critical mass where like there's enough developers using you that like they kind of can't, it'd be a little messier for them. It'd be messier now. <laughs> so we have a little bit of like a standoff that it's all good. Um, and we have a good relate. like I I've, we've tried to cultivate as good a relationship as we could with anybody we could at both platforms. We've, we've actually done some we were on featured at uh, Google IO this year and stuff. So it's important for us to have that relationship, but as a company, a small company, there's definitely like an asymmetry to it. And it's kind of always, you know, if push comes to shove, they could really, they could do stuff that would, it, at a minimum we'd have to react to. And we do that every year. Like we're always, they're launching new stuff. They're not asking us first. So they're launching new stuff. We have to react to it to make sure it's ready for developers um, and stuff like that. And, you know, it has its, it has its advantages because like, they've attracted a community of developers, right? And like, of which I was a member. Um, and so that gives us an immediately, like a lot of places where customers have congregated and understand the problem um, and and have some context for what we do. Um, but similarly, yeah, you have all these like platform risks um, that, that probably never fully go away. Um, but I do think like diminish over time. Yeah, and then so with that aggregation of of, uh, of potential customers on the platform, how does that change your 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 go to market when when it's uh, it's it is it is more aggregated? Does that make it easier? Does it? Yeah, it, um, I mean, on the developer side, yes, because Apple brings them together in community and, and Google as well. So like, you know, we would go hang out outside WWDC. I would like hit all of like my developer community friends in the early days to like you know tell them about Revenue Cat. Um, just being part of that developer community gives us credibility as well. Like watching being, being Apple and Google watchers. So it's kind of something we do is like making sure we're interpreting what they're doing, um, for everybody, um, helps. Um, but, but also like, you know, it, we're playing their game, right? So, <laughs> right. And then, and I think, um, just being B2B SaaS is, is such an interesting, an interesting transition that's happened in, in kind of the last, you know, five, 10 years that, uh, it was very much kind of a, a sales driven approach for most B2B SaaS companies, you know, 10 years ago. And over time you've seen more move into kind of a product led motion. What, where are you guys in, in that journey? Well, it's a journey. Um, so, you know, I was a consumer person found or, uh, you know, my, all the, I worked on apps, right. Which are by definition, almost all consumer. And so that's how I learned product. That's how I learned analytics. That's how I learned sales. That's how I learned acquisition. So my whole background was always in consumer. So when we went to set up revenue cat, I brought a lot of that, a lot of that experience along it. You can sign up yourself. I wanted the funnels to be really smooth. I didn't want to talk to people. I'm a, you know, I'm a developer. Yeah. Like, why do we need, I never wanted, yeah. like as a, as a consumer buyer, like, or sorry, as a B2B buyer on the, on the mobile side, I never want to talk to anybody. Like right, I'm, more, right. I'm liable least, to go to your competitor before I get on the phone. Yeah. With a, make with self-service possible if they want that. <laughs> yeah. And so like, that was very much important to me when we started, uh, when we, when we built the initial versions. Um, and that's kind of carried forward to today. 
um, we've, of course, like at some point I realized like, I'm not, I'm, uh, not the, uh, my way of buying isn't the only way of buying. Let me put it that way. Right. Right, So there are people that want to get on the phone and need to get on the phone. And, you know, it kind of forced me to experience that and understand the value that they get out of it and kind of learn what, um, what a sales process can look like for a product that is PLG. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, basically, you know, those initial calls I was doing where I was helping people put our SDK in their app, there's kind of an unbroken line between those kind of turned into what became, I just was doing less and less, right? Like I wasn't getting their code base anymore. I was just telling them about the value and giving them documentation. Um, and then eventually, you know, the stakeholders, as the companies got bigger, the stakeholders got a little more complex and we started to have to like, you know, have different little talk tracks depending on who's in the room. Um, but, but largely folks are finding us because their developers have a problem or they have a, an organizational problem around they don't have visibility into revenue or they don't have uh, the, the technical support on, on revenue tracking. And then usually a developer is like, hey, I've heard of this service. So there's usually a developer in the process um, and they'll come to us in most cases. Uh-huh. And then what, what, if, what are they giving up if they, if they don't end up working with you? Usually what kind of, how do, how do they think about that value proposition? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's an evolving, like how do we pitch this? Um, I would say typically our, you know, our, our biggest competitor is in-house. Like that's still the most, um, the most common reason somebody doesn't choose to go with us. And so it's a difficult, it's a difficult sale to make often. And this is, I think, across B2D. Um, because you'll sometimes have developers that are really confident because they're really good and you have to convince them that like, it's a good thing for you to give this up, right? Like I'm taking, I'm not doing this because you can't do your job. I'm doing this because you don't want to do this job, right? Like I'm doing this because we'll make it easier. You can do other more fun projects, right? But sometimes there's like some ego involved. Um, some, a lot of times also with replacing legacy systems, that's a really challenging sale for us. And like, we're still trying to figure out how we make that better. In terms of like that PL, like this was a problem I, we've kind of kicked down the, the kick the can down the road because we've had, there's so many new apps every month that like we get a lot of customers that way. So we've kind of like haven't, I don't think invested as well in like making sure a, a customer that has a legacy implementation can really move over easily. It's things you start to work on as you like your customer segment shift and stuff like yeah. this. But, and obviously like the, the bigger ones that have like a, a real established business could be probably higher revenue customers for you yeah. faster. That's the thing. There's a pull for us certainly to do that if we want to accelerate revenue growth. But like also, I think it's it's a learning process. And it, it seems like a lot of us in, in B2D and just B2B that come up PLG, there's always this messy middle of learning enterprise, whatever your definition of, you know, whatever your biggest realistic customer segment is, is always a challenge because it's not who you started with. Often like myself, like the product leaders you have initially don't really get it as well um, and stuff. And I would say certainly we're in this stage right now where we're trying to better understand, like, how do we actually sell into these organizations? How do we get their, how do we get their attention? How do we get their calls? How do we drive urgency? Um, and and it's multi-pronged just product. That's, I think what's the hard, that's, I think often what people miss is that you go, well, I'll just sell my PLG product uh, with, you know, we'll do some calls and add an MSA. And like, now we've, now we have sales and it's like, it's not that simple. Like the product needs changes. The onboarding needs changes. The company needs changes. 
in order to support that. And we've definitely learned that in the last like year or so. Um, as we've had some like real deals, like, and that tends to like affect the overall culture of the business too, as you, as you, yeah, I mean, we're a bunch of, we're a bunch of indie app developers. What do we know about like big, long protracted sales processes, right? right? So like, yeah, but, and, and companies typically, you know, that are really PLG focused, you know, that revolve around the self-serve motion. It's like, okay, we'll hire a, a salesperson. What they don't understand is the rest of the organization has to support the sales organization. Otherwise it's not going to be successful. So you're, you're disrupting not just, you know, a small piece of the, you know, it, sales has to interact with product. They have to interact with marketing. If those things are really baked in already, you're, you're changing the whole dynamics of the business. And I think that is definitely underappreciated. Um, yeah. We, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I think, and that's often what can lead to a false start. And I think we, we were maybe guilty of this as well. It's like not recognizing that, like, you know, there's all these always in this whole journey. There's always like points where you feel like you should be doing A and B, right? There's like an A that you're working on and there's a B that looks really juicy. And I think almost every time trying to do both fails. Um, and so I think this is the case also for for when a, cus- when a company transitions from PLG into some sort of sales motion because you think like, oh, A is what I really care about. Like, let's just tack on B, but what, you're absolutely right. Like, it, t- it requires organizational transformation. It requires product trans. It, it requires, like, me, you know, the leadership to really, like, get everybody aligned that, like, and get excited about running a sales-led motion. And it, and it's hard. I, I'll and then, that and then salespeople tend to have pretty big personalities, too. And so... Yeah, it's a very they, different they, culture. Yeah, they kind of take over yeah. the culture of a, of a company if... if uh, if it's not really managed well, which, which can be great, like having a very sales driven culture, like, a, you know, there's, there's a lot of companies that I think have done really well with that, like an Oracle or something. But, um, but at the same time, like certain founders might not want that and, yeah. and they, they need to go into that with eyes wide open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like I, I, I definitely, um, I definitely had the chip on my shoulder about it for the first few years. Uh, and I was like, sales is silly. We don't need this. Like, what is this for? Like whatever. Yeah. Now I'm just like, we need it, and I don't understand. Yeah, we, we got some <laughs> we got some thing. numbers to hit, and you yeah, know, like you gotta <laughs> exactly. gotta gotta look at all the angles. <laughs> We're working with a company, a couple of companies that have transitioned to sales. I think the biggest, maybe the the earliest mistake that they make is the leader comes in and says we need a sales team, but they don't have a vision for what they think that sales team should look like because it's a different motion for PLG to sales than it is traditional sales. You're not. Your, the customers are coming with a lot of information about your product already. They know your product in many cases. So it's a different, it's, a, you know, um, and Sean and I have talked about this at length. It's, it's really, in a way, it's much more about customer success uh, mm-hmm. at that point. As because often to, they already are in customers exactly. sometimes too, right? They've already signed up. They already have an account. Like, um, uh, I, I, and I think the, what makes it challenging also is the spectrum of those customers. You have everybody in between. You have the like, you have the like very disconnected stakeholder coming in for a very high level conversation. That person needs a very different experience than like the developer who integrated it six months ago and is just trying to get a discount or just trying to get an upgrade or whatever. Like, and, and building a sales team to like serve all of that is super, super hard. I think you, you made another point about hiring the sales leader. I think this is something too, where I've seen, I mean, I, I, I'll confess we haven't figured it out, but making sure the folks like building, understanding those sales processes, don't outsource that to an exec hire like super early, just because like, especially in PLG, because you you have to really know cold the like intents and the user profiles and like their experience. And then you have to get that humming. I think you're, I think founders really need to do it themselves. Uh, and before they can 
successfully hand it off to somebody who, you know, and then, and then it informs who you hire, like what, what VP of sales or whoever is going to run your, your, your go to market on the sold side. So just so we don't go too far down that rabbit hole, I'll change the subject a little bit. But um, <laughs> so previously I ran product marketing at Teltech and we were a portfolio company. We had a portfolio of mobile apps and uh, this is before Revenue Cat. And uh, we struggled building the subscription backends every time for each new product that we created, which, and it was funny because every time you think like, oh, you just copy and paste, right? But it seemed like there was so much learning from each iteration that it was, you know, so revenue cap made so much sense to me when I, when we saw, when I saw that you, what you guys were doing, I was like, oh, that's so exciting. But um, it makes, you know, it makes a lot of sense for me from in that early motion when you're building an app, but you mentioned, you know, converting existing apps to use your subscription backend. What is the long-term value of, of revenue cat? Like, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I would say today it's peace of mind. <laughs> like we've got it covered. Right. And we'll keep you updated and we're going to like skate ahead and like, make sure, make sure you never have a misreported revenue month because you know, some bug in some receipt thing from 20, you know, from five years ago that the person that built's no longer here. <laughs> we, that's, that's the value now, but like, that's pro that's not enough for the long term and i guess this is the game we're playing now is like we've we're, we've solved really well the upstart problem the hey we're doing our n plus one app we don't have anything let's get let's get revenue care they save us a ton of time and they give us like the basics out of the box um i think long term we're going to have to continue to build value down like what does what does the company in their fourth fifth sixth year of using us like what what new value i mean they're going to be coming back to look at charts they're going to be coming back to like look at their revenue that's kind of an evergreen loop um but what are their challenges that are new at that stage where we're kind of reaching a second you know second prime market fit or whatever we're reaching we're we're, we're there already with the tool they need in year three or four so that they're renewing their, like their perception of value as well. Cause like the way we, the way we build is like, we're, we're coming along for the ride. Um, and I've always liked that. It's got its advantages and disadvantages. One, we become a line item that's always at risk. Um, but the, the upside is that we're very aligned with your success and it forces us to like keep earning it year over year. Right. Um, and I, I, I'm, we're just now getting customers that are mature to that stage and start asking those questions <laughs> and it's good for us as an organization, frankly. So do you worry right now, like in with the, today's iteration, are you worried about customers outgrowing you and that's why you need to get ahead or, or, you know, or is that your, is, is it more a concern today or is it more of a concern in the future? I guess. Um, I would say it's, it's certainly more, we've certainly heard it more in year five, than we did in year two, you know, um, we just have a lot more mature cohorts. Um, but I'm not surprised. Um, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm kind of, it's, it's good. It's market information. Right. Um, in terms of like what those, what those customers need again, it's like, I think this is why we have to even accelerate more on what we're doing on product development and new features and our customer success work to make sure that, that we don't, that we that never creeps into somebody's mind <laughs> you know like there's certain tools that you're like good god no i would never churn right like they could like slack maybe is a good example or something there's like certain tools that you're like i'm locked in there's like zero appetite for changing and like i'm glad that they have my money right like that's 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 what i want to achieve it's a high it's a high goal um but that's 
part of the reason I, I, I like the way it's set up because it forces us to keep working and keep pushing. So I, I want to come back to the the ecosystem uh, kind of area. We, we we talked a bit about that, um, uh, just like building in a closed ecosystem. I'm I'm curious as as the business has has evolved. I don't know what the what the relationship with with Google and Apple looks like. Do you have do you have to spend a lot of time nurturing that relationship, or is it really you just you know the rules, you build you build to the rules, and, yeah. and that's it? <laughs> I would say pretty much that we build to the rules, and and we stick to it. Like Apple has Apple. I'm 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 more experienced in the Apple ecosystem than Android. I've done both, of course, but um, but they they they're very parallel in a lot of ways. Like they have their technical stuff like how their api is working what they actually do and then they have their like rules of the road for the ecosystem to be in the app stores essentially like what 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 are you allowed to do not allowed to do and as a company we play 100 in those rules because one i don't want to lead it's not my goal to lead developers last thing a developer needs is to like make apple mad at them like if we're at risk and apple being mad at you apple will i mean this is, I, I feel bad. It's like a partner, but they will destroy your business <laughs> like, and not even think about it sometimes, right? Like, or at least like put you through a very panicked period, right? And this is one of my c- complaints to Apple and Google is like, they do this to developers. They, they have a lot of power in this huge system and like folks, like well-intentioned folks get caught up in like bad situations all the time. So anyway, we don't, we want to be, if anything, helping people avoid that. So yeah, we our first our first line of defense is making sure that we're on Apple's side in terms of what their rules are, understanding them because it's getting more complex as well. Like, there's the Digital Market Markets app and Act in Europe that's um, going to potentially change the way that app stores are allowed to force in-app purchases. There's also legislation proposed in the U.S. Um, and so Apple's like Apple and Google are reacting very quickly and changing the rules, and developers want to know like what can I get and what how do we take advantage of this. Um, and that's kind of our job is to make sure that Apple's got and Google have their line and like how they want you to take advantage of it. Cause this would just keep using IAP for us. Like we're fully aligned with the developer, right? So we're going to tell them and, and help them d- get the most benefit that they can without staying within Apple's, Apple's rules. And then it's, you know, relationship building, making sure we have good relationships with anybody on their, their technical evangelism team, trying to build, Technical, those are the, the biggest, most important relationships for us is because we're working on their stuff. We're catching bugs for them. We're sending it back and forth. Um, that's where we've done the most development. In terms of a company that big, it's really hard for a company our size to have any sort of real relationship with a company yeah. that but it, big. But it seems like you you fill an important void for them. I mean, it's such a, the the revenue that they generate from from their app stores is is super meaningful now in, in both mm-hmm. businesses. And if it's, if it's easier for people to, uh, you know, to plug in and then Apple's going to be taking their, taking their cut of yeah, every I single mean, transaction. Like, it, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of alignment there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're here today, so they must not be that mad about it. So like, uh, uh, and that's, that's been my understanding and back, you know, back channel conversations and things like there's no official line that like revenue cat is the endorsed, you know, whatever. But like, um, they, they understand that they have to remain very, very both platforms. I think this is like the case for abstraction and, and in, in technology in general is that, you know, the underlying platforms have to remain very, very agnostic and very, very feature light. Um, and it creates opportunities for software like ours to like narrow that vertical down, focus on a use case, which in, in our case is generally non-game subscription apps, 
um, and really build, really build for what also what we know from being in the industry is like what those companies need um, that Apple's that wouldn't make sense for them to do that necessarily. Right. That would be such a niche down for them. And they, they, frankly, they don't need to. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think if you're like, you know, even if it comes to like uh, SEO or advertising or any of these things, if you start thinking about the platform and how does the platform make money and how do how do you, ma- how can you make their world better? They usually are on your side. Right. I mean, if you're, so I, you know, if you just think reasonably, if, if revenue cat is, shaving three months off of the average time for a developer to get an app in the app store. That's a lot more apps getting in the app store every year for Apple. I mean, it just seems like they would, you know, while they might not endorse you specifically, they would be excited about, about that prospect. But of course we used to call it getting flashlighted, you know, by Apple, like because Apple created the flashlight, you know, yeah, app yeah. and kill, um, you always have that specter, but I used we developers always think about that. Well, what if Apple just builds that? And the reality is, if you think that way, you'll never build anything because Apple could build anything, but that doesn't mean they, they want to. That's, you know, so I, th- I think it's, um, I think you're filling a great, you know, a really interesting hole for, for, for developers and for Apple that I think is, is necessary. So with that, you know, one thing that dawned on me is, you know, I used to live in, you know, Sensor Tower and App Annie uh, data all the time. And I was thinking, Revenue Cat's got to have the best seat in the house when it comes to understanding subscription data across this entire ecosystem. When you think about like the long-term value you can create to, for your customers, is that part of it? Like using the data that you learn across your base to help leverage that on behalf of your users? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's, it's something I've approached, I think with, uh, an appropriate amount of caution because one, I don't want to, well, two things like one, I don't want to tell people facts that aren't true. Like, I don't want to say like, this is what the average conversion rate is. And it's like, well, we did poor analysis of the data or like we're over biased because of whatever. And uh, up until the last year or so we've had a big data set, but it hasn't been that big. And now we've got a sufficient number of apps at scale that we can anonymize the data and mix it together. And there's no chance of any leakage and whatnot. And yeah, we're sitting on a lot. Um, we're, we're just now starting, uh, to do that. We actually, I was like, reviewing a post today where we're going to kind of our first like, but, but it's a, it's, it's in our, in our marketing strategy, at least on the, to like, um, sensor tower does a great job with demand gen using their, using their data insights. Um, but, uh, that's kind of just the beginning. Um, I want to make sure we're using it in the product. Like we should be guiding developers in terms of like what you should expect from these different, um, SKU placements or like packaging and like what, 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 um, predictive LTV can we tell you like you know if you have a certain set of monthly subscribers and we know some basic things about your app we can probably give you a pretty decent idea of what your renewal rates are going to be in in the next month or two um just based on just based on some basic you know some basic information we have because the apps are the I guess this has been one actually surprise learning is how there is quite a spread like the 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 if you say the average trial conversion rate or the average renewal rate for an app, you think that is a very useless number <laughs> because <laughs> the apps vary wild, wildly, which kind of surprised me. Um, but it gives me a lot of faith because it means that consumers are very rational. Like they will unsubscribe from apps that are not bringing value. They will not, they will not convert on trials on apps that are not bringing value. And the ones that are you can really see if you go to like the high end of those numbers and look at what apps are in there, you see some really amazing software, which gives me a lot of 
uh, faith <laughs> that what we're building isn't just like a, uh, a recurring scam mechanism as a weapon, right? Like that we're actually building something that, that aligns value, um, with, with developers. But yeah, absolutely. Like this has been a, this is of these, you know, these things I was talking about A and B, like there's always like a thing you want to do really bad because the value is so there and so obvious. This has been one of those things that we've had to be like, ah, we can't yet. Oh, we can't yet. Oh, we can't yet. But we're finally getting there. We finally have the support in the systems and we're going to get there. And I think in the next year, we're going to put out some really cool stuff. So, yeah, I think to the point you were just saying, uh, like that, that it varies so wide, wide, wildly, um, or, or widely too. Um, the, uh, I, I was looking at some data, app Annie data, pretty recently on Calm, uh, the meditation app, and and uh, it was it was shocking how like their their long term retention is is really low, and I don't think I mean, I've I've used I've used Calm for for many years, and so I know I know that the value is there for for people, but the um, I think particularly like with with that category when you think about building a habit around meditation is half the challenge. And then having the app actually be good for what you're trying to do with it is, is the other half of the challenge. And when you take kind of both of those together, you're going to have a, a really low retention rate. So comparing that to a, to an Instagram long-term retention where you don't even have pricing with it and they're, you know, they're going to be 50% plus where, where like, yeah, a yeah. is going to be significantly lower. Or, so or I, something that's like very core, like, um, for flight is this app we were talking about airplanes before is a basically data subscription service. And I will subscribe to it as long as I am flying and I will never churn. And I think that's probably true for most people. It tracks the natural rate of pilot churn, right. Then it does anything about their product. Also they're the dominant. The other, the other thing with calm is like when, when calm started, they were the only game in town. They kind of defined the, and now there's like, and I think that's one of the challenges with like a content-based app like Calm is like eventually customer you're going to want to shop around and try other flavors and things like that. Um, but I mean, that's that's the case for consumer in general, right? Like attention is fleeting. What I've seen really interesting is apps that serve like prosumer use cases. So like um, one I like to talk about is like Photo Room. Is that Photo Room? They, they remove backgrounds from photos. They have this really amazing niche within... Um, like Shopify sellers, like people trying to get stuff on their site. And they have, I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's a good business. And so like, uh, that's something in mobile that we're seeing more and more of. And actually, I feel like is something that makes me really excited to stay in this ecosystem and invest more because like, I, I don't know, I, I still think like mobile is the best platform. I don't know, the best platform for software creation that's ever been created it's, it's we're only 10 years in and like i think software is just getting better and more diverse um and that, and just like the this. fact that it's with you all the time yeah uh, and, and has and location a lot and of all, uh, yeah <laughs> dynamism as well so like apps yeah. are going to rise and fall and that's good for consumers like software needs to be changing and evolving i think it's more so it's slower in b2b like like salesforce i don't know if i'm going to I imagine on my deathbed, Salesforce will still be the world's biggest CRM. <laughs> like, I'm not sure. Like, it changes on 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 maybe, much maybe longer Maybe HubSpot wants to beg to differ on that. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, but but for mobile, things move much much faster, and I think that's yeah. good for that's good for consumers, right? That's good for software um, for things to be moving faster and for there to be like high dynamism. So I, I think that's a, a good transition to the idea of like what what is what does revenue cap look like going forward? Sort of. Uh, you know, with with all of these changes, with all these opportunities emerging, 
you know, five years from now, what, what would you like to see revenue cat looking like? Sure. I want to be the sales force of what we do. Right? Right, like, I want to be the, <laughs> never die. um, uh, yeah. So our, our vision, our mission is helping developers make money. We, we, we have this mm-hmm. alignment because of the downstream effect that I think that's going to create the most consumer value and the most consumer yeah. happiness is helping empower people who make apps. Um, Again, it's sustainability for the good stuff. If they can't make money doing it, they have to go out and do something else. (laughs) Yeah, it's much harder to uh, sustain an app without externalities or with externalities in subscriptions. Like either people are going to pay for it or not. Consumers are basically rational and Apple and Google have done a pretty good job of of making the system where people are comfortable paying developers for little pieces of software. Um, and so our mission is to just keep maximizing that. And, and along the way, like we want to be the tool set, the platform, I don't know, every word is cliched, but, uh, we, we basically want to make sure that every step along the business building journey, you know, for, for, apps for people making apps for consumers, Revenue Cat is helping them. So whatever we can do, the, the, the revenue relationship is so important to these businesses. Everybody's talking about LTV. Everybody's talking about their subscriber base, right? That's that's the heartbeat of these businesses. And so we've entered in a really boring spot in the most high pain, boring place we could, right? Because that was where the most uptake was. And frankly, that was the problem I knew how to solve. Um, Miguel and I knew how to solve. And, and now the game is like, okay, so then how do we, everything that, and this is where our customers and customer success is really helpful because you talk to them and they're like, wait, what are you doing with our data? Oh, that's really interesting, right? Like we should bring that in and, 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 and make that part of our product or better yet, we should create a platform where other, other companies can use the revenue cat core infrastructure build on top of us um so they don't have they can provide for instance this company superwall we just partnered with they do paywalls testing as a service um and another one of these things that's been sitting on my table for years being like oh we could really tackle that with our tech turns out like people can do it much faster you know if they're fully focused on it and so that's where i see us evolving we're going to be this like ecosystem where you set up in revenue cat and you get access to basically any tool you could possibly want um that's that's specially oriented around your revenue, which is something special, I think, in CRMs and and data platforms um, to this day. So you've grown, I think, to around 60 employees now, I think you said. And um, obviously, as you grow, things get more challenging, but you're five years into this. And I assume with that comes a lot of knowledge and and, uh, sort of clarity on on where you're going. Do you feel like things are becoming more predictable in in the business at this point? Wow, that's a really good question. It's there's there's always so many dimensions. So things get easier in one dimension, and then just when that's happening, a new dimension opens up that you didn't know was there, and now you have a new. Or or you can look at it linearly and just think like there's the next the next scaling problem, the next scaling challenge. I think there is in terms of scaling. I think there is this really painful, I'd say twenty to fifty period where I think we're coming out of, we're not fully out of, but we're coming out of now where it's like you need managers and you need systems and you need people teams and you need. Uh, OKRs, and you need like all of this stuff, which as a like startup, like as two guys working out of their living room seems very foreign, <laughs> and like takes a lot of like self. Except I don't know, you get, it takes it takes a little bit to get excited about it and to see the value and to understand. Especially I hadn't done it before, so like really understanding why that was important. And it's like we're just doing computers, right? Like that is true, but like you need these systems. Um, and so I think that that's been a really 
really painful period of growth for us and uh, company building and Miguel and I as well, like personal growth. But I, I always com- find for what it's worth, I always find around 30 employees is where, where it gets really hard for me is like that transition point. So it's right in that range as well. I think we experienced it earlier being remote. I think remote companies mature a little yeah, bit faster here point. because you don't yeah. have that like cheating with everybody in the same room to like yeah. improve overcome some of the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to invest in this earlier typically. Um, but anyway, yeah, we're getting on, I think we're coming out on the other side of it. And so I'm actually excited because now I have, we have all the like functions of a company. So when it's like, we see an opportunity here, it's, it's now like, okay, like how do we set up the company? Yeah, I guess there is some more predictability. Okay. Like we can do this in queue, whatever. Do we have the resources? Can we put a team on it? Who's going to work on it? We have a bit of a predictable hiring pipeline. We have a bit of a predictable, um, product pipeline. And like, we can start to, I can, I can, (laughs) there's this really nice translation layer where I have, it's like Miguel, I've, there's a lot more Miguelish people on my staff that can hear me go like this and go like, all right, let's translate that into some things we can execute on. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful for it because I'm not sure. I, I always joke like, there's no way I would like get hired onto my own team. Yeah. <laughs> like I just don't have too much next shiny object. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, I, I hope it works and I hope my team can, can manage it. But yeah, it, it's, it's, I, it'll be an interesting question to see a year from now or two years from now. Cause I, my, my theory is, is that operationally the company will feel more the same from here to IPO than it did from zero to here. That's my theory. I don't have a whole lot to back that up besides intuition <laughs> and maybe some hope. Uh, but, but I, but I think we're coming out the other side. So do you, do you have um, anything that kind of keeps people sort of aligned uh, pulling in the same direction? Like, like uh, you know, reinforcing the mission all the time or yeah. North star metric or, or OKRs, any, anything like that? Yeah. So we, we just started trying with OKRs and i I'm, this is one of these like learnings I, this year that I've learned the hardware, like just about every lesson you learn in this <laughs> game, which is like, I was like, people don't, people are like, they want to, they want a vision. They want to know what we're doing all the time. I'm like, I don't know. Help developers make more money. What's, what's so hard about that? Like, uh, <laughs> but and, and, and you learn eventually, like if more than one person says the same thing, you're like, okay, something's here. Like, let me, let me stop yeah, and take, and I did the reading and, and like, I, I listened for once and like sort of realized like, yeah, that is true, Jacob, but like not everybody has it in their head like you do. And you need to have a system for articulating that. And so I've gotten on board with the mission to metrics story. Like, Hey, here's our mission. Here's the vision. Here's like the metrics that matter and like what we're going to be doing in this quarter. Right. Because just so many people all, you know, doing all kinds of different like technical skills and, and everything. It's so much easier if they all kind of have a similar, we have a shared narrative in terms of what we're doing again, first year doing it. So I'm sure we'll like iterate and learn. Um, but, but that's been helpful just like in terms of storytelling for me, cause I don't meet with everybody anymore. Like I used to have one-on-ones with everybody. I could kind of set the story straight and tell them what I'm thinking. And now that just can't happen. Um, and then on metrics, interestingly i've been doing investor updates since since i was in my kitchen and in in we didn't have investors i just picked friends who were investors in hopes they would become investors uh at some point uh and started sending them updates and uh i've used the same pretty much the same three metrics since then it's been our total volume like how much is flowing through the system like in terms of like customer volume um uh, the number of apps we're shipping every month. So how many new apps went live in the month and then, and then our revenue, which is downstream of, of the other two. Um, and I've struggled to find better metrics than that. It's like, how, how fast are we growing? 
how big are our customer, how fast are our customers growing? And then like, what's our take? Those are essentially yeah. like the three things. But it and feels like, like kind of tying back to the mission piece that, that you talked about. It feels like just, just being shining a spotlight on money generated by our customers. We've helped our customers generate this much money this month. Yeah. And compared to this much, you know, maybe their seasonality or something yeah, else, but I just mean, something that. I think there's, I think there's evolution here that we, 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 and this is, this is where the OKR system, as we learn it and get better at it, because there's also like trying to look into our customers. Cause like our total volume is related to how many people we've onboarded, size of customers, yeah. things like that. doesn't give me all that much indication of the health of our customer base, right? Like how sure. are they growing? Yeah. We do look at like annual NRR to see like a year ago's cohort, like how are they doing now? And that's a really important number in terms also of revenue growth for us. Like that's our yeah. compounding factor. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, now, I, where we what we haven't developed yet, and I think is going to come in the next like couple quarters as we get better at the system, is like okay, our NRR, we want it to be higher. Go right, like talk to the smart yeah. people we for, have. For anyone listening like, who doesn't know NRR, can you? Yeah, oh, sorry, <laughs> it's net revenue retention. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> how much a customer grows in twelve months? Uh, you know, yeah. if they started one hundred percent, where are they at? And then it, it can go down. A lot of times, a consumer, you the uh -huh. same cohort a year later pays yeah. you less money. Typically, in in SaaS and with expansion mechanics, like that, that that ideally goes up over time. Um, so that they're bigger a year later. Um, I think that's that's, you know. And going back to Ethan, your question about like long-term value, I think that's how we track making sure people are never going to pull us out because, hey, like every year we're going to help you bring a couple extra percentage points and that's more going to cover our take. Um, and and that's something we have to get to. Um, and we do a little bit there. We we have some tooling. You can, you can squint and make that argument, but I think we need to like really deliver on it and really deliver on it well. And that's why I'm excited that we've built such a good product and engineering organization and, and, and customer success and all these, all these pieces we have now is like, we can just start to chip away at that stuff and really execute on all these ideas I've had. And at least the ones that they'll fit into a Q3, you know, in, in a quarterly <laughs> buckets. I mean, it's, um, so, you, you know, a lot of times at this point I'll say, wow, X company sounds like a great company to work for, but I actually happen to know because one of my former colleagues is now one of your product manager and he absolutely loves working at RevenueCat. So I, I, I know that RevenueCat is a, it's an awesome, fast growing company, very exciting. And, uh, you know, it sounds like while you haven't figured out everything, um, your process for figuring stuff out is, is really sharp. And I think that's probably makes it a really fun place to, uh, to work and go sail. Yeah, that's on the, that's on the fun part, right? You don't <laughs> yeah. want to come in when everything's figured out. That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that, I was curious, are there any key roles that you're hiring for that anyone in our audience might be interested in? Yeah. Um, I just I'm gonna make sure I got the URL right. Uh, Cause it changed at some point. Everybody slash jobs, uh, go there. There's, uh, developer support, data engineer, a lot of roles in a lot of areas. So just revenuecat.com slash jobs where we're, we're, we've got a pretty aggressive Any, Anything plan. specifically in kind of the growth and marketing uh, area? Yeah, so I have, a, I have a rec for audience for a growth lead right now okay, um, for somebody to, to help me like coordinate cross-functional kind of PLG stuff as well as, I don't know, help me make numbers get bigger is, keep, is how I'm joking cool, about yeah, it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure that one will be super interesting for our Yeah, listeners, so, I mean, because... Yeah. 
if I knew, I wouldn't be making the hire. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's, and it's also one of those things that you can't focus on everything. And if you can have a specialist who, yeah, exactly. Everything they think about is that. They, that's they the tragedy of a scaling CEO. It's like everything that's fun, you have to give to other people. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. I've got, uh, yeah, I've got incentives to take care of it. So uh, <laughs> I get to do fun podcasts. So very cool. So um, one question we love to wrap up with. Uh, each each uh, each interview is just the the you know what do, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that you might not have understood a year or two ago? Yeah, this one was a good question. Um, I I, I somebody recently defined it for me in a way that clarified something I knew but like didn't realize, which is this concept of like product channel fit that that a, a company can get product market fit, meaning the people need it. Um, and that's great. And that will drive growth. And, and often in consumer that might in some, in certain markets that might be all you need. Um, but what I've also found is that most companies have a second story that gets told less often because it typically comes later, which is finding their channel that actually scales, right? That the channel that they can pour money in the channel that they can grow on. And, and it doesn't necessarily, I mean, if you read a lot of the the growth books out there, they talk about that, like very initial, there is some channel fit in that first product market fit. Like people have to find out about you somehow, but I think it's rare that that takes you all the way to the finish line. Right. Um, and it's a continuous, and it's the same for product market fit, right? Your each product market fit you find will take you a certain distance. Um, and I think it's especially, it's, it's becoming especially clear to me now as we're getting into this like later phase on growth, understanding that, I can't just like post tweets about in-app purchases anymore and like write good <laughs> blog posts. Like we have to do a lot more than that to continue, at least to continue. Just with all those fake Twitter accounts out there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Who even knows? I, I actually have four real followers. Like, I, uh, but, but that's been a real, a real realization for me um, on the growth side. And uh, you know, the first step to fixing something is really understanding it. Right. And so that's kind of this growth lead role we were talking about. It's like, what, how are we going to, really create a machine that's going to take us through from, you know, probably, I mean, I won't have to take it to IPO or whatever, but it'll take us quite a ways from where we are now once we get it dialed. And it's some combination of the PLG and the sales and whatever, but it's going to be special and it's unique to every company, I think is the other thing, right? Like there's very rare, unless you have a company that's super similar in terms of like target and like everything, um, you're going to have to figure it out a little bit. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. So Awesome. Yeah, no, I think, I think that is uh, exactly right. And I, I think the, the product market fit, I would say is actually the hardest thing. And, and uh, the fact that you started with uh, struggling with this problem and seeing people struggling with the problem, like uh, I think, you know, if, if the problem's there, then it's, it's a, a factor of coming up with the right solution. Channel fit, channel fit yeah. can't fix lack of product market fit, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. the opposite. So, yes. <laughs> so problem you knew coming into it, you built the right solution. You've, you've built a lot on that. And then it's just about, you know, finding all the people that really need it and, and effectively getting it in their hands. And, uh, and it sounds like you're doing that really well, but, uh, it's, you're, you're ready to take we'll that see. to the next level. So ask me, ask me when you see me in at the, uh, you know, NASDAQ or, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think the fact, and you've, you've, you've mentioned it kind of offhand a few times here, the fact that your goals are so aligned with your, your end user goals, um, I think gives you such a leg up in terms of that that long term sustainable uh, ability to grow, you know, to drive growth. And you know, channel market fit I think works a lot better when your goals and your customers' goals are are one and the same. 
and it totally. keeps me it keeps me motivated coming in every day. You know, I just want to help Perfect. developers make money. That's all. Yeah. That's all I want to do. <laughs> you're you're uh, you're like Santa Claus for the developers. That's a <laughs> that's a good role. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, uh, that's that's all the time we have for today. But thank you so much for for sharing the Revenue Cat story with us, the journey with us, and we're uh, I know Ethan and I will definitely be paying close attention to see where you take it from here. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners will as well. So th- thanks again, Jacob. Thanks, you. And thank you. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.